you have other stories, I'd love to share them or have you share them with me later. I know that talking in front of uh, big crowds of people isn't everybody's thing. So uh, if you want to share those later, I'd love to hear just one-on-one afterwards over uh, some chips and pretzels or whatever we got going on back there. Um, we're going to push in then as we wrap up the series. We're going to push in. Uh, there was one of the themes that we talked about a little earlier, and we're going to kind of grab on that thread and go a little deeper uh, with that thread this morning. It's something that we've talked about before, um, but it's, it's this idea of moving fences and how we relate to our neighbors. Uh, it actually worked out really well for me this week because I didn't really know. I was studying all these themes and studying what God was kind of laying on my heart, but didn't know how to pull it all together. And then my brother-in-law came over to actually help me move my fence in my, in my yard. And uh, we were moving the fence to, uh, to expand so there's more yard territory that's on the inside of the fence instead of outside. So he came over and he's helping me move the fence. And it was one of those things that God was like, yeah, this is kind of what we're talking about. So he kind of made it really clear to me, which as a pastor, it's really nice when like something in your life uh, like pertains to something you're talking about because sometimes I'm really hard-headed and it like takes me a while to get what God's teaching me. So it makes it a lot easier. Uh, One time I had a weird occurrence of this though that happened a couple years ago that um, I was teaching a message that was on those destructive things that get into our lives, right? Uh, the destructive patterns that, that end up getting inside and kind of eating us from the inside. Uh, and, and how you don't want to leave those things just inside of you. You want to get those destructive patterns out of you, right? Uh, so I was studying this, and, and it got brought to mind the concept of, of these botfly larvae. Has anybody ever, like, done the YouTube stuff of botflies? Yeah, there you go. That's the reaction we need. Uh, yeah, so these bot flies, uh, they're these flies that they get on animals and they bite them and they leave their eggs in them and then the larva grows inside the animal until it uh, is fully grown and then it bursts forth from the animal and it's really, it's really just wonderful. Uh, so I'm studying these things. I was like, this is the perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm up in my room and I'm studying for my sermon by watching just these YouTube videos of all these botfly larva extractions, right? Uh, it was really wonderful. Um, and as I'm doing that, I hear this call of my seven-year-old daughter who's downstairs. She screams, she's like, dad, come quick. I was like, what? She's like, you gotta come see this. This is really weird. There's something going on with Carmel, our bunny. So I come running down the stairs and she's holding the bunny and he's got this big sore on his side. And I'm like, that is, is that, is that what I think it is? So uh, I bring my wife in the room and she ends up holding the bunny and I was like, well, I should put some antibiotic on it. So I go get some antibiotic cream and put it on a Q-tip and rub it on the sore and the sore starts moving. Freaked me out. <laughs> Uh, I tried to not react because I didn't want to freak my wife out in this process. So she's like, what? What's going on? I was like, oh, it's just, it's, it's just a sore. It's, it's fine. I just let me go get something real quick. She's like, Ryan, what's going on? I was like, it's going to be fine. So I went and I got some tweezers and pulled and pulled and pulled and then finally popped that sucker out. It's like this thing about as big as my thumb that came out of my bunny. It was the most disgusting thing ever. And... Uh, I really got excited because I felt like in some ways like I had preached that thing into existence, right? <laughs> like if I wasn't studying for that sermon, like that thing never would have happened. But um, yeah, there's really no point to that story, but I felt like if I, didn't, if I didn't share with you, I was like selling you short on something. So you're welcome. You can just take that wherever you want to go with it. So neighboring... Uh, <laughs> 
we're going to get back and we're going to uh, zero in tonight on what, what's kind of like the mother load of good neighbor passages that comes to us in Luke chapter 10 as Jesus is having a conversation with one of the teachers of the law. Here's what this passage goes like. One day, this expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so that he then asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I read this passage as like, what kind of question is that, man? Like, what are you doing? You get time with Jesus, who at that time was at least kind of um, in popular culture, one of the rising stars, right? He's like one of these teachers that everybody wants to know about. It'd be like if today, if it's like one of these uh, like pastors that's like rising to national prominence or one of these authors that, that's writing all these books and everybody wants to know about and everybody wants to go to their book signings. And it's like he gets time with him, you know? You, you wait in line at the book signing and you, you get closer and closer, you know, you're an hour in line and you finally get up to the front of the line and here's your opportunity and you ask a question like that, that's just ridiculous. If, if you ever get a chance to talk to whoever your like, mentor hero is and you ask such a weak question, uh, we're going to have to have a talk about that, right? What, who is my neighbor? That is so simple. That's not the kind of question you ask a guy like Jesus. Well, why did he even have a question about it anyway? Well, as I started thinking about it, I began to realize that even in our culture, we have different meanings that the word neighbor could mean. It's not all that clear, and the English language does this to us all the time, right? So sometimes when we talk about neighbor, we're talking about like our next door neighbor, right? The word neighbor is kind of short for next door neighbor sometimes. You're talking about whoever those people are that live next to you. Or maybe you extend that a little further and you say your neighbor is just someone who lives on your block, or uh, somebody who lives in your neighborhood is your neighbor, right? It's, it's this, we are people who live close together, we're neighbors, right? But there's other ways we use the word neighbor as well. I grew up uh, watching Mr. Rogers. Anybody else in that? Yeah. Grew up watching Mr. Rogers, and he would always, you know, beckon us, won't you be, won't you be, won't you be my neighbor? I don't get the feeling that he was asking us as children to convince our parents to move across the country to wherever he lived and to live near him, right? There was something different he was talking about than living close to each other. When he was talking about, won't you be my neighbor, he's saying, won't you be my, like, friend? Won't you be a part of this community that, that we're, we're building together? Won't you be in my group, right? It's, it was different than neighborhood. And then uh, you just have the word neighborly, which only seems to have positive connotations, right? Like neighborly, neighborliness is like kindness, generosity, that you do good things for somebody else, you're neighborly. Uh, so it doesn't seem to count like all the negative things that we can do as neighbors. Uh, some, so we have that word, which only implies positive things. So I see that for us. But the question then is still, uh, is that the problem he was having? Or why was it that this guy, why was he at that time in his culture asking that question? What was it going on for him? Why doesn't he know what being a neighbor means? Well, let's start with where he is. So he had just quoted this command that he knew that his responsibility to, was to love his neighbor as himself. 
And as he's quoting that passage that he sees his command that he's supposed to love his neighbor as himself, he is quoting that passage from Leviticus 19.18, which is the first time we see that passage uh, in all of the Bible, where God is giving this list of commands, this list of guidelines for how he wants his people to treat each other. And he tells them, love your neighbor as yourself. So let's start here, because that's where he's coming from. So the word neighbor here, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, in the Hebrew language, the word neighbor is actually rea, rea. And the word neighbor in the Hebrew language can be translated uh, neighbor as it is here, but it's more often translated as uh, friend or companion or someone who is in your circle, someone who is in your group. So that has a little bit of a different feel to us if we say it that way, right? Love your friend as yourself. Love your companion as yourself. Love those in your group, love those in your circles as yourself. That feels a little different. And those circles, those groups, that idea of caring for people who, who are in your group, that was very important to them and their culture back then in a completely different way than we think of and how we uh, place our priorities today, right? Today we have what we call an individualist society. And in individualist society, it says, uh, I am very important, and who I am is very important, right? We talk about uh, my personal choices, and my personal identity, and my personal responsibility, and my personal rights, right? And, and even as we talk about faith, uh, we talk about things being very personal in 2017 America, right? We talk about uh, the, the faith um, stream I grew up in, talked about each of us, individually having a personal relationship with Jesus who would come and individually enter each of our individual hearts, right, and walk individually with us throughout the rest of life. There was this very individual focus of who I am and what my life has going on. But that's not how they saw themselves. They were a collectivist society. So before any individual identity, they saw themselves primarily according to their role in the bigger group, their roles in their circles. What, who were they relative to the other people that were in their circles around them? So if I was living back then and somebody said, Ryan, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Who are you? I wouldn't say, oh, I'm Ryan and I like this and that and I like to do these things on the weekends. No, I would say, I'm a Yazel. I am the son of Tim and Becky. I am the brother of Aaron and Alan. I'm the husband to Robin and I am the father to Callie, Sophie, and Mickey. I'm a Yazel. That's who I am. That's my role. I would tell them about my role relative to the other groups I'm in. I'm the coach of my soccer team. I am a citizen of my country and of my city. I'm the chief patron of the downtown Taco Bell. Right? You gotta you got know your role relative to the circles you're in. That's how they would have responded. Those circles were so very important to them and their roles in those circles were how they primarily identified themselves. And for the people of Israel, their circles, their groups were even more important than that. It was so important to them bec because for them, their group stood out a little bit for a couple of reasons. One had to do with Abraham, their ancestor, as God came to him and said, hey, I am going to make a great nation out of you and the people who come after you. 
I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And then God took that promise that he made to Abraham and he went and he uh, echoed that promise to Moses. And he said, hey Moses, you and your people, these people, these descendants of Abraham, I am going to be your God and you are going to be my people. Right, so that's a pretty high, uh, high calling uh, for those people. That was something they were pretty excited about and held very important to them. They weren't just a group of people. They were a group of people who were the chosen children of God. You can see why that would be so important to them. The people of Israel were God's chosen people. They were in God's circle. For them, they weren't asking the questions of what happens when I die? Will I go to hell or when I go to heaven? Because they knew that they were God's people. And as long as they stayed God's people, of course, they would just be with God forever. So the only question to them was, how do you act as God's chosen people? What kinds of things should we do as God's chosen people? Because we already know that group is who we are. Well, that how do we act is where this Leviticus passage comes from then. Right? It's God talking to them about the kinds of things he wants from them, the kinds of ways he wants them treating each other. So as we go and we're going to read through this passage, a little more of this passage, what I want you to think about is this. I want you to notice the word neighbor as it comes up, and then I want you to notice the other ways that it talks about the role of neighbor. Okay? Let's go ahead and start that passage at the top. It says this. It says, do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So there we have the love your neighbor as yourself, but there's a lot more, right? Instead of neighbor, we see one another early on in that passage, right? Right here in this last slide even we see, instead of neighbor, we see a fellow Israelite. Instead of neighbor, we see among your people, right? So this makes a lot more sense why there would have been a lot of questions for him. Because here it's very clear that the, the call in these commands wasn't just generically for anybody, but it was for those people that were in those circles. Right, so the question then is, who's in the circles? Let's head back to that passage and that conversation between Jesus and the lawyer who would have certainly been a very smart and wise man. So here again it says this, one day there was this expert in religious law who stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, already this is an interesting question, right? Because uh, he's asking, what should I do to inherit eternal life? But he already knew the answer to that on some level. Because on some level, the answer to what should I do to inherit eternal life is be one of God's chosen people, right? If you're one of God's people, then you are the people that have been chosen to spend eternity with God. So be one of God's people. He knew the answer. 
He knew that you needed to be one of the circle of God's people. But you see, by this point, there was already some debate going on. What does it really mean to be in the circle? What does it mean to be not just in the circle, but in the real circle, right? Because, yeah, maybe there's a circle of what it meant to be God's people, but maybe that is uh, God's people, uh, people of Israel. Maybe that was genetically, right? That, that as long as you had the genes in you, the Hebrew genes in you, then you were one of God's people, you were in the circle. But there was other debates going on among these religious factions. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees and these other groups, and all of them were saying that there was like this uh, theological trueness to who they were that the other people didn't have right. So the Pharisees thought that for sure they were the ones that were the real people of Israel, that of this circle of the people of Israel, there was this inner circle that represented the real people, and everybody else was just kind of deceived. Everybody else was wrong. Everybody else was outside of that. And so each group thought that they were in it. It would be like us saying, like, okay, like, we're all Christians here. We're all, we're all going to heaven. But let, let's be honest. Like, Jamie's probably not going to be there, right? Like, can we just be honest about that? And once we're honest about that, then, then we don't have to, I don't have to worry about him so much, right? And I, only, and I not only need to know that, that they're on the outside, but I need to be confirmed, Jesus, that I'm actually the one on the inside. All right, people on Sunday didn't laugh about the part with Jamie, which makes me, like, a little more concerned about what they think about you. <laughs> I, th I think there's some questions there we can talk through. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that was the question that they were asking, right? It's like, Jesus, tell me that I'm in the inside circle and that these other people are just missing the boat and they're not really inside. So it goes on. Uh, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus again, and who is my neighbor? So he went through this whole process to talk about who, uh, Jesus confirming that he was really inside and the others were outside. Uh, and all Jesus did for him was say, yeah, you need to love those in your circle. And so he doesn't, he doesn't feel like Jesus was giving him the answer of who is really in my circle that he was looking for. And so he comes back again and needs to know from Jesus exactly who is in his circle and who is not in his circle. And so Jesus answers him by telling the story that we know now as the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a simple story that's really powerful. And here's the story. A man was walking, a Jewish man was walking from town to town. And while he was walking from town to town, he was out in the wilderness and he had a band of robbers come upon him, and they beat him and took his stuff and left him abandoned on the side of the road, left for dead. Along comes another Jewish man, a priest, who comes along, sees him, steps to the other side of the road, and ends up continuing to walk by him without helping him. A little later, a second man, a temple assistant in the, uh, in the Jewish temple, came walking along and also stepped away from him and continued on walking. A third man, who was a Samaritan, came and saw him laying along the side of the road and picked him up and nursed him back to health and made sure that he was, uh, had everything he needed to be taken care of moving forward in the future. So Jesus tells the story, and then he asked the man, he said, who was a neighbor to the man who was hurt? And the lawyer re replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, so go and do the same. It's a simple story, but there's three things 
that I really want us to take from this tonight. The first thing we can take about what it means to love our neighbors well is this. Neighboring is not about where they are or who they are, but about who we are. Right? We can spend so much time trying to figure out how far our responsibility extends. Do I really have to help those people and what they're dealing with, or can I like let, let that one go and just kind of tend to this stuff? We can spend so much time figuring out what we have to do and what we don't have to do. But the interesting part about this story, one of the interesting parts, is that Jesus shifts the question from who is my neighbor to who was a neighbor to this man. Right? And he's saying, you don't need to spend all this time figuring out who's in your circle. If you just let you and your heart be what it needs to be, and you just uh, let your life be changed, if you let your life be filled with goodness, and your life be filled with love, and your life be filled with joy and peace and grace and mercy, right? If these become who you are to the point that you become a good neighbor, then when other people see you, the question is asked, when they see you, would they point to you and say, that person, I don't know them very well, but that person is a good neighbor to me, right? It's not about who they are or where they're at, but about who we are and who we're becoming. Let that be the first lesson to us, that we can continually to work to let God shape us into being people that have such goodness going on in us and such goodness overflowing from us that when other people see us, they see us as a neighbor to them. The second thing I want us to focus on is that neighboring is not limited by circles. Neighboring is not limited by circles. That's the point of the story. Right, the, the lawyer, the Jewish lawyer guy was saying, so who is in my circles really? Who's really in? And Jesus' response to him was telling the story where the Samaritan is the guy at the end who is the, the, the symbol of the neighbor, right? And so he's saying, uh, the lawyer was saying, of this circle, of this group of people that I know are already kind of the group that this will be chosen from, so there's this inner circle that we're all shooting for, and I know that in that inner circle will only be people of this bigger circle, right? The bigger circle is going to be the pool from which this inner circle is chosen, and then Jesus comes along and says, hey, you know who your neighbor is? It's the guy that you don't even think is in your circle at all. It's the guy that's completely outside of your circle. The last person you would expect to be in your circle, the last person that you would think these commands of how you're supposed to treat each other kindly, the last person you think that would apply to, that is who I'm talking about. And in doing that, Jesus moves the fence posts. He expands the territory he expands the circle. He expands the responsibility beyond our current circles and what we currently think they are. A question comes from that for me, which is this. What does it look like for us to not believe in these artificial circles ourselves? What does it look like for us to not believe these artificial circles of neighboring? Because let's be honest, these circles are very much alive for us. We have our own circles Maybe it's our circle of our family, our circle of our friends, right? Or our circle of our nation, right? And we see ourselves as a part of these circles. And the reality is we treat people differently based on which circle they're in. There's some things that I would do for my family 
that I wouldn't think to do for my neighbor or just some random person. And there's some things we would think to do for people in our country that we wouldn't necessarily think to do for people outside our country. Consider the refugee crisis. There are countries that are war-torn where people are fleeing certain death and even things that somehow seem worse than death. They're fleeing those situations because they have no choice but to run. And so many times I've heard people, even many Christians, defending their circles. Say, yes, I've heard people say, yes, you may be dying and you may be fleeing war in your country, but the circle of my country would have to take on a lot of debt to be able to help you, and we have to think first about that circle. Or yes, you may be fleeing certain death and even worse, but my neighborhood circle, my neighborhood might become a little less safe if you were here. I got to think about that circle. Or yes, you may be facing certain death, but I have the first responsibility to think just about my family. And what we say when we respond in these ways to these people is it'd be nice to help, but you're just not a part of the right circles for me to do anything. Or think about the opioid crisis in our city and in our country as millions of people are overcome by the monster of drug addiction and knowing how many children are affected as a result of that as parents uh, are no longer able to care in the ways that they would desire to care or that they once were able to care and you have these children without enough caretakers seeing constant news articles like once a month begging for more foster parents, more adoptive parents, because there are so many kids without families. And yet it's so easy to say, and I spent most of my life in this category, say, I'd really like to help, but I gotta take care of my own first. Right, we have these circles. What would it look like for us to let these circles go away, or at least expand? The other interesting thing as Jesus kind of blows apart these circles is uh, it's not just the, the social circles or the contextual circles, uh, it's also like these locational circles, right? Uh, he ends up in the Great Commission sending his apostles out and he says, hey, I'm sending you into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth with this goodness of message and blessing that I have for the world. So it's no longer about you, it's no longer about where you're at, but the limits aren't there because the limits are the entire world, do we set artificial limits based on location, right? Do we treat people dealing with a, a tornado in Napanee that happened 12 years ago or whatever different than we treat people who are going through uh, a hurricane in Texas, different from people experiencing a, a hurricane in Puerto Rico or a landslide in the Philippines? To what extent do we allow ourselves to be relieved just because we're not close to some of these things going on. I want to give a quick disclaimer here because I know this is really heavy. Um, this is a heavy responsibility we're talking about. And two weeks ago, when we were talking about sharing the burdens of our neighbors, it's really heavy too. 
and we can't do it. We can't, we can't be there for everybody. We can't be there for the whole world. We can't share everyone's burdens that are out there. We just can't do it all. We can't rescue the whole world, and that's true. But one thing I want us to do is I want us to still sit in the tension that that's, that's what Jesus is calling us to, right? He is calling us to something crazy and how we love others. He is calling us to something extreme and the love that we show without boundaries. And there is a tension there. And we need to sit in the tension of this is what extreme love and goodness looks like. You know, and then other times we'll, we'll come back sometime and we'll have, we'll have a lesson that will talk about uh, boundaries and personal self-care, right? And about how we can't take on every problem out there and how we need to have some peace and some goodness in the midst of all that. And, and we can talk about both of those things. But let's not blend them together to the point that we don't do either of them very well at all, right? Another thing, yes, we can't save the whole world, but can we be challenged to at least do a, a little bit, right? And, and if we just do a little bit, one thing can we commit to doing, like just not standing in the way of people experiencing love and goodness. It's sad that we have to say that, but we kind of have to say that because too many times I see, out of self-protection, I see even Christians not only not doing something to help, but actually actively resisting help that other people want to provide to those who are in need. Can we at least start by not resisting the love and compassion towards others? And then, you know, just the little things that we can do. Maybe it's, it, maybe it's just as simple as acknowledging the hardship of somebody else in a social media post, saying I see what these people are going through and I stand with them and I care about them. Or maybe it's writing a letter to somebody or, or taking some active step to, uh, to be an advocate for children without parents or whatever it is. You know, maybe we can't do everything but we can find ways to do something, right? The third lesson God has for us, I believe, in this passage is this. Uh, it has to do with the fact that the original question had to do with eternal life. It wasn't just about circles. It was about uh, also about in that circle who is closest to God, more or less, right? Who is closest to God? And the interesting amazing thing about this is Jesus doesn't just tell a story where the Samaritan, the outsider, is considered a neighbor. But he tells a story where the Samaritan, the outsider, is the hero of the story. Right? Can you imagine what that would have felt like for the Jewish uh, teacher of the law, the Jewish religious guy, the, the Jewish guy that everybody around him would have considered he would have been the most likely to be closest to God. And he's asking about this story, and the one guy that he's pretty sure is farthest from God, those dirty Samaritans over there, those people that are surely outsiders, that guy is the hero of the story. That guy is the best neighbor. That guy is closest to the inside of the circle. That guy is closest to the kingdom of God. Sometimes we must realize the outsiders are closer to the inside than we are. It's so easy to push people to the fringes. 
As a church, what questions does that bring for us? What if we're not the carriers of all of God's goodness? What if we aren't the ones that have everything figured out? What if we need people outside of our circles? I loved back in February, we talked about Peter uh, going into the house of the Roman centurion, right? And they were not supposed to do that because the, the Roman centurions, for a number of reasons, were considered unclean. They were considered very much outside the realm of faith and all the things that the Jewish people should be doing. And yet he goes to his house anyway. And in this conversation where he goes to this unclean, this outsider man's house, he goes and he talks to him. And as he talks to him, he hears the faithfulness in the heart of the Roman centurion. He hears some things about how this man understands God. And as he hears how this man, this outsider, is surely farther from God than he was, as he hears from him, his heart has changed, Peter's heart has changed, and he walks away saying, I now understand after talking from you, talking to you, that God does not desire to play favorites. And in hearing from the outsider, Peter learned something more about God than he'd known before. We see this in the example of Paul who goes out to the, to the Greek towns and to, to all these people that are outside of the Jewish people of God's people. And as he goes to them, he starts pe- finding people who are willing to embrace the story of God. And they're not embracing the Jewish law. They're not embracing the Jewish customs. And that's a little uncomfortable. But over time, Paul begins to see that there is goodness and there is freedom in the midst of how they are experiencing and how are they are following God. And Paul's perspective is changed by the outsiders who teach him more about God that he didn't know. We have these examples. Part of loving our neighbors means that we need to recognize that we need people outside our circles to help us see God more clearly. And when we start to see that, then hopefully we start to pursue that. We need to pursue those people we think are outside and find out what we can learn about God from our, our interactions with them. We need to pursue that, and when we pursue that and when we hear that, we need to soften our hearts and we need to be willing to change because maybe there's some places where we don't have it all figured out and we need to change. As we close, the team's gonna come forward. Just want us to remind us that God is a God who loves us. And he loves us by going to whatever extent is necessary, blowing away all boundaries, blowing away all circles to love us well. May we be people who return that and echo that and extend that to our neighbors as well. The people that live near us, the people that live as far away as possible from us, the people that are already in our circles, the people we would never think to have in our circles. May we extend the love of God. Amen. All right. Next week, Jay is back teaching, which I'm really excited about uh, as we move on to something new. But as we leave tonight, I want to leave you with our uh, usual benediction. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great night.